welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. I'm one of your hosts, Mr. Craigers. And I'm the other host, Miss Malmoy. Yes, she is. And tonight is episode 74. Mm-hmm. And we are going to bring you Christmas ghost stories. Ooh. Tis the season, you know, to be jolly and to be merry and goodwill towards men. But it is also the season for spooks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the Yuletide uh, festive season actually has a relatively long history with the macabre or mm-hmm. the eerie or the unsettling. And there's lots of different reasons behind that. But the point is, it's a very fitting topic for Splatter Chatter, where we cover all things horror and haunted and Halloweeny. So we thought we would tap into this very old, um, very intriguing tradition of telling ghost stories around Christmas time, around Yule, around the winter solstice, the mm-hmm. end of the year. And so we're going to do a little bit of history. Where does this tradition come from? What's the whole point of it? We're going to do a couple um, spooky tales, a couple quick, short ones, and then we're going to read to you a slightly longer tale at the end before letting you know where you can find some other spooky Christmas stories out there in the world. But before we do that, let's do some horror headlines. Horror headlines. Horror headlines. Slash. Catch up on what you've been doing lately in terms of the spooks. What you got for us, Miss Mel? Um, I haven't been up to much even since last we we did this a week ago. This is a back to back almost kind of recording. Yeah, there's not a lot of time. Um, I'm working through. It's not horror, but it is kind of. Um, we sometimes do sort of speculative things on here. I'm reading the Bone Clocks right now. Oh, how is that? It is very engaging, but it's one of those things where you're sure you've read 30 pages and you've read five pages mm-hmm. when you look down. Um, but it's, it's very good. It's very good so far. It's kind of creepy. Um, it's, you know, I wouldn't consider it horror, but it is speculative. And I think there's going to be an element of body horror in it just with the way things are are leaning and the way the people in this book kind of take over and use uh human bodies basically as like you know living puppets for their devices and that sort of thing um but yeah i've been meaning to read it for a while and my girlfriend's parents had a copy of it so i snagged that at thanksgiving snagged it yeah yeah that's one of those ones that's been on my list like since it was published um and now you know it's like however many years later and i'm like Oh, right. I really need to read that. I do have your copy of It that I plan to read this winter because I feel it's a... Uh, it, it could... Le- I mean, like, I always imagine myself reading it in the summer, but I feel it, I, it could lend itself to long, snowy days and... I think, time. yeah, because it's so long. Like, mm-hmm. physically, it's a thousand pages. Yeah. Like, it's a bit hefty read, which is, mm-hmm. I think, are always good for winter. Um yeah, you might just have a bit some strange disassociation because it does take place in the summer. Yeah. But I say live your life. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of my big my big thing right now. Um, 
I'm entering slowly. I'm getting back into Star Wars mode time too. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched Rogue One last night. So, yeah. Best one post Disney acquisition. Yeah. And, you know, Baby Yoda's always around. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've all been enjoying Baby. Are you caught up on Mandalorian? I'm not. I'm two episodes behind. I know. Okay. I won't say anything. Okay. Um, yeah. Good stuff coming out of that show. Um, I too am, I guess, prepping for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I, I told myself I was going to watch all of them again. I told myself that like two years ago, and I just don't. Right, because I'm like, oh, because it's the last, the last Skywalker one. Obviously, it's it's not going to be the last Star Wars. Yeah, but it's the end of the Skywalker saga. So I was like, I should watch them all. I should watch it. Have I done that? No. I mean, to be fair, I've been doing that for the past year. Because when I want to watch them, yeah. Well, and Charlotte hadn't seen any of them, so we slowly started working through them, like starting like last March. There you go. So I, I feels like last week sometime I put on Phantom Menace. I was gonna do it chronologically, and I got like halfway through, and I was like, no, no. <laughs> I was like, no. I'm just I don't. I'm like I'm decently looking forward to Rise of Skywalker, but I just wasn't feeling it. You know. Yeah. Um, but this isn't a Star Wars podcast, so yes. shut up. Um, <laughs> so that- I've watched um, Deadly Games, mm-hmm. um, also known as um, 3615 Code Père Noel or Call Code Santa Claus or five other different. I don't know why it has so many different titles. Yeah. Um, it's a 1990 French. A uh, horror movie that is basically like Home Alone, but ho- the horror version. Um, a young boy whose house is invaded on Christmas Eve by a deranged Santa Claus. Um, Love it. To kill him. And he has to protect this house. And I also finally watched Anna and the Apocalypse. Oh my gosh. Good timing, though. Yeah. Which is was so cute and so funny and a damn good musical and I've been singing the songs in my head ever since I watched it the other night um and I I highly recommend it'll give you the holiday feels and it'll give you some good tunes to jam along to as well if you need a break from like all I want for Christmas is you mm-hmm. as we all do yes so did you not see black christmas yet i didn't see black christmas um i was gonna go this weekend and the friday night showings were sold out and then i just kind of wasn't really like feeling it Mm -hmm. for the rest of the weekend um i have been keeping tabs on like reviews and chatter um it's getting very mixed Reaction, which I feel that PG thirteen rating was going to warrant mixed. It was already getting mixed reactions, I think, before it even came out. Yeah, yeah. Personally, from like reviews of others that like I my opinion tends to line up with, or people that I really trust, the sense I'm getting is that it is like aggressively fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. That it's very tailored to its target audience, um, 
which is high school girls, mm-hmm. which is also also fine. Yeah. Um, some stuff works and some stuff doesn't, and that is just like a lot of missed opportunity, though. Still, mm-hmm. um, and it, that is not very memorable. But I haven't really seen much from like high school girls talking about it, you know, yeah. though, so, like I, I'm still curious to like, cause if it works for them, that's kind of the whole point. Yeah. But who knows? Interesting. Yeah. And I haven't watched the original black Christmas, which I've I was usually say now I'm like, I should watch the original black Christmas sometime this week. Yeah. I'll probably do that this week as well because it's the best. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As, as longtime listeners will know. Yes. As I believe we did that last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered that for our holiday horror series. So if you want our thoughts on the original, do go back and give it a listen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Had a lot to say. And Jess, Jess was in the um, Final Girls March Madness thing, right? Yes, I do believe yeah. so. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Nice. Good stuff. Yeah. So, let's dive into the main portion of our episode tonight, which is, again, ghost stories and their history with this time of year. Yes. This was a really cool idea. My chair is so squeaky. I don't know if everyone's hearing this. They are. (laughs) What they should know, though, is that was actually a fart. Yes. And, you know, trying to pass it off as a squeaky chair. It's just been lots and lots of farts. I need a new chair. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right, squeaky chair. Do you want to tell us about ghost stories at Christmas time? Yeah. So this is, interestingly enough, I feel like I've seen a lot of people on social media talk about it this a lot this year in those, like, kind of clickbaity posts where they're like, can we bring this Christmas tradition back or something like that? Like, I feel like I've seen it a lot more this year than I have in recent years. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but you. Right. I'm, I'm ahead of the algorithm. Um, but, which, speaking of algorithms, just have to say, last night when you tweeted about the Christmas shoes, literally not ten minutes ago, I had been explaining to Charlotte what that song was. Because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, have you ever heard the Christmas shoes song? And she was like, no. And I explained to her how, how like, fucked up it is. Yeah. And then ten minutes later, my phone buzzed because I have, um, like, notifications for when you tweet. And I was no like, oh my god. <laughs> hey, that Christmas, that, like, fuck that Christmas shoe song, right? Whoa. And I was like, oh my god. You and I have always been like this. Um, Anyway, algorithms. So so yes. So, and this is something you guys may have seen as well on your Facebooks or Twitters or what have you. People talking about posting articles. um, Which I'm sure they crop up every year. I just feel like, for whatever reason, I am seeing more this year of people being like, oh, this is a thing people used to do. And we should talk about it. Um, it's not that surprising if you think about a Christmas carol, it comes from this tradition, but this tradition is a lot older than a Christmas carol, and it's actually even has roots older than Christmas. Um, the sharing of ghost stories. So, not that different from Samhain, which becomes, eventually morphs into Halloween, as we know it today, um, the pagan holiday of Yule. 
which was roughly celebrated like December, what we would know as December 20th through like the 23rd or like 19th through the 23rd. It could fall anywhere in those days, depending on what like the moon and the sun were doing. Um, but it was the darkest day of the year. It was the longest night of the year, and it still is. Um, anytime there is a what we would call a winter solstice, it means that it is the one night a year when, uh, or the one like 24 hour period when night is as long as it's going to get. So, you know, you can rejoice in knowing that after that, the days are only going to get longer and the sun's going to come back. Um, it takes a while though. But yes, so the winter solstice, Yule, is um, the longest night of the year. Which, you know, thinking about that obviously just lends itself to the macabre, to spookiness. It's very dark out. Even, you know, before we had electricity, it was just dark. When the sun went out, we just lived in darkness. And that was it. With our whale oil and stuff. Um, so, uh, sitting around and sharing ghost stories, obviously, right? Like, it's dark, it's spooky, it's nighttime, it's winter. It's the time when everything's sort of dead and gloomy, and it's during a, a solstice. So, you know, it's believed that the, the veil between worlds is a little bit thin. Uh, it's not quite what it is on Samhain, which is considered, you know, the the night of, of, of nights for spirits to walk the earth. But, you know, people would do sort of goofy seances and that sort of thing on this night to try and communicate with spirits, and they would tell ghost stories. Mm -hmm. um, we stopped doing this thanks to a guy whose name you might know um, from various history classes, Oliver Cromwell, uh, who was the Lord Protector of England in the 1600s, and he was a staunch Puritan who actually wanted to do away with Christmas, because Christmas at that time was considered a decadent holiday, because you would sit around with, like, your warm liqueurs and tell ghost stories, and it was, it was all very pagan and upsetting. Um, so he kind of stamped out Christmas traditions, um, and like the sort of festive parts of it for quite a while. So he was a 17th century fun sucker. Yeah, he was a buzzkill, basically, is what it was. And it didn't come back until like the Victorian times when sort of decadence came back. And that's when you have a Christmas carol and sort of like the revival of um, the ghost story tradition. Um, and like the revival of like Christmas as we know it today, right? Like with Prince Albert bringing over all the German traditions. Yeah, so like the Christmas tree, German tradition, clogs, that sort of thing, Father Christmas, the people who, you know, do the Krampus thing. Oh my god, I forgot to make my mom watch this video that's hysterical. Is it's it about Krampus? No, but it's about this kid, this British kid who loses his oh! fucking mind. You sent that to me. And it's so fucking hilarious. Uh, yeah, I love it. You guys should go find it. Maybe I'll tweet it out. It has nothing to do with horror. It's just delightful to watch. Delightful. The like, best part, which I think is in that tweet, is when he's like, I was on the phone with Father Christmas. And the little boy's just like, yes. Yes. Like, just very calmly, like, well, of course. And go he off. stamps his foot. He's like, I'm not on the naughty list. Like, I lose my mind over kids just, acting like grown-ups and he and i and like had the outfit that he's wearing just yeah. as much she's like you need to stop using that word you need to stop using that word i'm not on the naughty list and then he says he's got i punch him i punch his beard right off i punch father christmas the kid's like <laughs> maybe he's, 10 
But maybe. Maybe, but that's a that's a stretch. He's probably closer to seven. Yeah. Anyway. Seven or eight. <laughs> Perfect. Anyway. Uh, so yes. So decadence comes back to Christmas. Fun comes back. Prince Albert brings over the German tradition of uh, a trimmed and lit tree. They used to use candles in those trees. Watch out. Right. Dumbass. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, and a lot of our Christmas traditions uh, are very German because of that, because um, they get brought over, and there's obviously a huge German population in America, which kind of, you know, brings on the second wave of recreating kind of now the hallmark image of Christmas. But anyway, uh, the basis for telling these tales is in that, you know, it's a dark time of year, it's a scary time of year, um, Christmas was placed where it was on the calendar to coincide with Yule to both sort of like stamp it out as well as to absorb it and absorb its followers basically to say, hey, we do stuff too. Um, and, you know, it used to be a much looser time. You could kind of do whatever you wanted with it. It was a time to drink and be festive and, you know, talk about macabre things, acknowledge death, you know, while also, uh, you know, acknowledging, I guess, Jesus being born and that sort of thing and then uh, the sort of Puritan um, takeover of England uh, stamped it out you know very fire and brimstone um, eventually they obviously get pushed out of England they come to America and bring that with them but Prince Albert brings us fun again <laughs> not him personally but we'll we'll call it that but he helped he helped um, so people started um, telling ghost stories again obviously the most famous christmas ghost story is charles dickens 19 no 1863 story uh a christmas carol uh which is about a uh curmudgeon man we all know uh, scrooge who is visited by three ghosts on christmas night who try to convince him to um stop being a dick essentially um <laughs> cut it out yeah <laughs> Is basically what it is. Um, and it is creepy. I mean, like, obviously there's some nostalgia in the Christmases of yore. He sees the struggles of now. And then, obviously, the ghost of Christmas yet to come, where he sees himself dead and nobody's at his funeral, and it's all very creepy. Um, but there are less wholesome Christmas tales out there. Um, and sort of Christmas-themed um, ghost stories. Not all of them are kind of an allegorical fun story to tell. Some of them are just, like, the point of it is just to, um, you know, be creepy and have fun in the dark, <clears throat> as we all like to do. So, in that tradition, um, I've got a couple here for you that are quick ones, like, you know, kind of the one-paragraph-ish stories, um, just because a lot of them out there are long, and if you go and find yourself, like, sort of traditional Victorian ones or older ones, they're long as shit. Because as we realized, um, these people, this is all they did. Mm -hmm. They had time to sit and read a novella and call it a short story. So we will read you one longer one that's um, from the 1930s, but it's kind of in the tradition of um, the older yeah. The older ones. But I've got a couple uh, here for you that are that are pretty uh, pretty quick, pretty fun. Just maybe even nice little inspiring story starters if 
you're somebody out there who likes to, you know, tell ghost stories or write ghost stories, you know. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. What's the first one? So this first one was actually written. So this one was uh, submitted by a person who claimed to have experienced it. Um, she didn't title it anything, but um, the lead into it is for anyone with loud neighbors upstairs. So for oh. you people living in apartments. I feel like many of us can relate, right? Yes. Uh, and it goes so. Uh, my sister and I were staying at an old historic hotel in the middle of nowhere, Montana. The building had been in use since the 1800s. Uh, my sister loves this place and has frequented it many times over the years. I was kept up all night. This sounds like a Yelp review. Like they're yeah. angry. Uh, I was kept up all night by someone pacing. Tara stars, because <laughs> ghost. Uh, I was kept up all night by someone pacing around on the hardwood floors in the room above ours. Drove me crazy. In the morning, I asked my sister how she could sleep through it, and she told me that the upstairs of the building was used as a ballroom, but now it's carpeted and empty. The hotel staff confirmed that nobody was up there, and furthermore, if they were, I wouldn't have heard heels on the hardwood floor. Weird. From Christmas. That's weird. Yes. So there's that one. That was Montana, you said? Yes. It was in the middle of nowhere, Montana. Which was your first mistake? Listen. Yeah. It's creepy. I'm pretty sure I'll never go to Montana. Yeah. So this is another um, one submitted by somebody who claimed to have experienced it. He titled it Demon in the Dark. Ooh. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Uh, my family traveled to the south of France to stay in a cottage owned by someone my dad worked with. The owners visited occasionally, but that summer it was free and we had 10 days booked there. After a long two days on the road, we drove down a steep driveway towards a secluded mill cottage with a water wheel with the water wheel sat static alongside the stone house. There was a deep cellar with stone stairs down under the wheel next to the house and a small river circled the place. It sounds like a fairy tale. Yeah. Like Disney's, yeah. Disney's cottage in the south of France. Yeah, like stumbling upon a cottage in the woods is very, like, grim-esque. Yeah. Uh, we went in the house and chose rooms, but being set down in a small... Oh, I can never say this word, but it shows up all the time. Cops? Copes? It's something, Cop- to, do, it's something to do with a house. Yeah, I think that it's copes. Copes. I've only, I've only ever I seen that word right. Is I just know that it's like something architectural. Yes. But being set down in a small copse, <laughs> the house was draft and cold from lack of use. We settled in and turned all the heating on, yet the house remained cold and felt damp. The first night, we had set a fire in the living room and listened to a couple of audiobooks before my sister and I went to sleep. My parents stayed up a little longer than went to bed. Around midnight, they both woke up at exactly the same time, and the door to their bedroom was opening slowly. At first, they thought it was my sister, until they saw a large, dark silhouette of a man framed in the doorway, standing stock still, just, uh-uh. lo- <laughs> just looking in their direction as if appraising them. After a short period, the shape turned and started to move as if satisfied, and then disappeared. They looked at each other, but didn't speak, and both went back to sleep. The next morning, the house felt warm and dry, and sunlight was back through the windows as if something had lifted and accepted them. They spoke the next day and both agreed that although they were skeptics, it could not have been anything other than something supernatural in that doorway deciding their worth. Yo. What happened in that house? What happened in that house and what would have happened had they not been deemed worthy? Right? Like... <laughs> 
That's a creepy one. Yeah. Uh, this is this occurred, does it say? It said in the south of France. They and blur out um, if people put actual locations. Oh, they, okay. they blurred them out. Um, they just said that this one is in southern France. They were staying at a, a colleague's house. Mm. Um, this one is called just house for sale slash currently occupied. Oh. Oh. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, when I was a kid, we lived in a haunted house. Strange, thing, strange things happened all the time. For example, my dad and I were alone in the kitchen one day making a snack. Love a good snack. We put a plate on the kitchen counter and walked away to, from, walked away to the fridge. We got what we wanted out of the fridge, turned around to walk back to the counter, and the plate flew off the kitchen counter and broke on the floor. My dad tried to calm me by saying the plate must have been blown off the counter, but let's face it, the plate wasn't near the edge of the counter. Okay, <laughs> there are no windows or doors open. No one else was home. Weird. I also woke up to an old lady standing by my bed on more than one occasion. I told myself I was dreaming. This part might be dark, but here's the rest of the story. Years later, I looked up the address and found that an old couple lived there for many years right before we moved in. Apparently... The house was broken into and the old woman was raped and murdered. The old man sold the house and moved. We were the first occupants since the incident. We only lived there for about a year. My parents swear we moved so quickly because we got a better deal on another house nearby. But we know it was because the house was haunted and the priest they brought in to bless the place told them that they should move. No joke. <laughs> Okay. That's like when Colleen told us that there was a murder-suicide in her house. Yeah. And I was like, cool. Never going to your house. Cool. I Yeah. Um, and then I have a couple even quicker ones here. Just to... I feel like when a priest tells you you need to move, like, you just... You say, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not religious, but yeah, you think so. But yeah. <laughs> Um, so this one, these are not user kind of people claiming to have, um, experienced them. They're kind of more urban legendy ghost stories oh. that people have, have put forward. Um, and this one's called Happy Birthday Dead Man. Shortly before a young family was set to move into their new home, the previous tenant passed away. Right after they moved in, their two-year-old began talking about a ghost appearing in several rooms of the house. The parents weren't all that concerned and thought that because it was around Halloween, the girl's little imagination had gotten the best of her. One day as they were leaving the house, their daughter told them that the ghost was on their deck. She told them that it was his birthday and she wanted to sing him happy birthday. Out of sheer curiosity, the parents looked up the obituary of the man that died in the house. Sure enough, it was his birthday. Uh. Those little fucking little kids like seeing things or saying things. And like, I remember one time... A gazillion years ago when I lived in Arizona, um, my mom's friend's nephew, who was very, very, he was probably like four or five, kept saying he saw a um, a mean man mm. in, in the bedroom. Like he kept mm. seeing a mean man. Nope. Um, and it kind of freaked my mom's friend out because she was like, I swear sometimes it sounds like there's horse hooves running on the roof of the house. Like she would wake up sometimes and hear that. Oh my god, I just yeah. got chills. Yeah, right. It's so. freaky. Especially because I was like, I've slept in that house. Why why does this not come up? But you never had No, any- I never 
And it was funny because that was the house I watched. I first watched um, Nightmare on Elm Street in and like scared the fuck out of myself. <gasps> so any sort of like fear I had in that house, I attribute to like that six month period where I was like in sh- deep shock from watching my first horror movie. So Dream Warriors. It's entirely possible like I did experience something that just was like in my freaked out phase. Maybe like the negative entity there like heightened it could be the terror you felt yeah <gasps> oh no 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 um so this one is called emily not so nice mm. a little girl age six or seven told her family about her imaginary friend emily emily had long dark hair and wore a black dress the little girl's parents started noticing strange behavior in their daughter she began sitting in the middle of her room whispering quietly. One day, the little girl began to hiss at her brother and scream at her parents, get out. Eventually, she calmed down, but not before both parents were in tears. It turns out that Emily was telling the little girl to do terrible things to herself. The family moved out of the home, but the memories of Emily still haunt them to this day. For those of you who want a really good imaginary friend sort of creepy story, I have to look up um, the exact title of the story. Um... Because I think it actually goes by a couple different names. Okay. So, and I can link it to you because it's online. So I'll tweet out the link. Um, but it's called Thus I Refute Bealsy by John Collier. Um, it is, is... Short story? It's very, yeah. It's very. It's a short story. It's very short. Um, it's a lot of dialogue. So it's not conducive to reading here. Because sure. it's a lot of back and forth dialogue, but I'll tweet out the link. It's a very, very creepy short story about um, an imaginary friend. Who I want to read right now. Yeah. So. Um, read it out. Yes. <laughs> Thus I refute Bealsy by John Collier or Collier, however you say that. Um, but we read it in ninth grade, and it shook me. <gasps> you were shooketh. Yeah. It was very. It's very, very creepy. So. Um. um. What's his face? Perks of being a raw file. Stephen Chabonsky. Chabonsky. His new novel is about, it's called Imaginary Friend. And I yes, think it's yes. From a horror, creepy angle. Mm-hmm. I haven't read it yet, so I can't entirely speak to that, but from what I understand. Yes, I've seen a couple people on my Goodreads work their way through it and read it. Yeah. Um, so the last one I'll read is a New Year's Eve themed one. So we're on theme. Uh, and it's called Heart Song. Celebrating on New Year's Eve, a group of siblings and their friends decided to break out the Ouija board. Mm. They contacted a person named Eugene, who told them that he had contacted them because he was, quote-unquote, afraid. When the kids asked why the board answered them, spelling out, it answered them by spelling out, quote-unquote, music and a bunch of random numbers, someone had the bright idea to turn on the radio to the numbers spelled out on the board. To everyone's surprise, the Heart song, so the band Heart, capital H, song Don't Leave Me Stranded was playing on the station. The board then began spelling out Heart, Afraid, Don't Go, and Church over and over again. Eventually, they grew tired and put the board away. The next morning, the sibling's father got a call that his uncle Eugene had had a heart attack that evening before and had been revived multiple times. Creepy. Creepy. Yeah. Creepy. Creepy. Don't fuck with Ouija boards. Yeah. 
just don't. Creepy stuff. Isn't this I, stuff creepy? <laughs> just uh, sometimes just even hearing short little stuff like that is like very. I know. It's sometimes even more effective than like long form. Mm -hmm. And that's why I like the Sarah Few Beelzy because it is, it is such a quick, it's like a one or two page sort of story. Nice. Um, but it's, it's difficult to read in audio. But it's a very good one. Yeah. But yeah, so should we uh, dive into our, our one longer bit? Sure. Sure. So now we're going to re rewind a bit um, for our longer tale that will close out um, our discussion of spooky Christmas ghost stories mm -hmm. tonight. This story is from 1931. And it concerns um, a game, uh, uh, hide-and-seek adjacent. Yeah. <laughs> like, hide-and-seek meets sardines, kind of. Mm -hmm. um, and it takes place at Christmas. Um, and it evokes a bit more of that traditional Victorian party feel, even though it is written and um, takes place after the Victorian era, it kind of calls back to that time. Can I just say Victorian party games um, are ridiculous? They are ridiculous. There was one, I forget what it's called, but it's one where one person closes their eyes and people just go up and slap them and they're supposed to guess who slapped them. What the fuck? <laughs> I forget where I heard about it recently. It was around Thanksgiving, and I was like, "Why are Victorian games so strange?" Jesus. And then there's that one they played Peter Schmidt plays with Lois, where they sing that song. Oh, yeah, fucking the Victorians, man. The Victorian parlor games. All they did was play parlor games and read long ass short stories. And read long ass short stories all day. It was like they were the most powerful empire in the world. At the Victorian time, but they were also sexually repressed that, like... <laughs> that this is what they did. That this is what they did to keep themselves from being bored instead of just, like, touching themselves. Yeah. I don't you know. know. It, was, it was wrong. It was... It was, it was yeah. the wrong thing to do. Thanks, Queen Victoria. <laughs> Thanks, Queen Victoria. Um, but yes, this one harkens back, as Mr. Krieger says, um, this is more of a Depression-era... Um, uh, short story, um, but it harkens back to that tradition of playing Victorian parlor games at Christmas parties and kind of what you imagine when you hear, like, um, you know, deck the halls with boughs of holly. Yeah, very much so. Okay. Um, should I get us started? Do you yeah. want to get us no, started? No, go for it. Okay. I just read a bunch, so. Take a break. That's true. Rest your voice. <laughs> All right. I'm on vocal rest. That's right. <clears throat> Smee by A.M. Burridge. No, said Jackson with a deprecatory smile. I'm sorry. I don't want to upset your game. I shan't be doing that because you'll have plenty without me. But I'm not playing any games of hide and seek. It was Christmas Eve. And we were a party of 14 with just the proper leavening of youth. We had dined well. It was the season for childish games. And we were all in the mood for playing them. All that is except Jackson. 
When somebody suggested hide and seek, there was rapturous and almost unanimous approval. His was the one dissentient voice. It was not like Jackson to spoil sport or refuse to do as others wanted. So somebody asked him if he was feeling seedy. No, he answered. I feel perfectly fit, thanks. But, he added with a smile, which softened without retracting the flat refusal, I'm not playing hide-and-seek. Why not? someone asked. He hesitated for a moment before replying. I'd sometimes go and stay at a house where a girl was killed. She was playing hide-and-seek in the dark. She didn't know the house very well. There was a door that led to the servant's staircase. When she was chased, she thought the door led to a bedroom. She opened the door and jumped and landed at the bottom of the stairs. She broke her neck, of course. We all looked serious. Mrs. Fernley said, how terrible. And were you there when it happened? Jackson shook his head sadly. No, he said. But I was there when something else happened. Something worse. What could be worse than that? This was, said Jackson. He hesitated for a moment, then he said, I wonder if any of you have ever played a game called Smee. It's much better than hide and seek. The name comes from It's Me, of course. Perhaps you'd like to play it instead of hide and seek. Let me tell you the rules of the game. Every player is given a sheet of paper. All the sheets except one are blank. On the last sheet of paper is written Smee. Nobody knows who Smee is except Smee himself or herself. You turn out the lights and Smee goes quietly out of the room and hides. After a time, the others go off to search for Smee, but of course, they don't know who they're looking for. When one player meets another, he challenges him by saying Smee. The other player answers Smee and they continue searching. But the real Smee doesn't answer when someone challenges. The second player stays quietly beside him. Presently, they will be discovered by a third player. He will challenge and receive no answer and will join the first two. This goes on until all the players are in the same place. The last one to find Smee has to pay a forfeit. It's a good, noisy, amusing game. In a big house, it often takes a long time for everyone to find Smee. Perhaps you'd like to try. I'll happily pay my forfeit and sit here by the fire while you play. It sounds a good game, I remarked. Have you played it too, Jackson? Yes, he answered. I played it in the house that I was telling you about. And she was there? The girl who broke? No, no, said someone else. He told us he wasn't there when she broke her neck. Jackson thought for a moment. I don't know if she was there or not. I'm afraid she was. I know that there were 13 of us playing the game, and there were only 12 people in the house. And I didn't know the dead girl's name. When I heard that whispered name in the dark, it didn't worry me. But I tell you, I'm never going to play that kind of game again. It made me quite nervous for a long time. I prefer to pay my forfeit at once. We all stared at him. His words did not make sense at all. Tim Vouch was the kindest man in the world. He smiled at us all. This sounds like an interesting story, he said. Come on, Jackson, you can tell it to us instead of playing a forfeit. 
Very well, said Jackson. And here is his story. <clears throat> Have you met the Sangstons? They are cousins of mine and they live in Surrey. Five years ago, they invited me to go and spend Christmas with them. It was an old house with lots of unnecessary passages and staircases. A stranger could get lost in it quite easily. Well, I went down there for Christmas, for that Christmas. Violet Sangston promised me that I knew most of the other guests. Unfortunately, I couldn't get away from my job until Christmas Eve. All the other guests had arrived there the previous day. I was the last to arrive, and I was only just in time for dinner. I said hello to everyone that I knew, and Violet Sangston introduced me to people I didn't know. Then it was time to go to dinner. That is perhaps why I didn't hear the name of a tall, dark-haired, handsome girl whom I hadn't met before. Everyone was rather in a hurry, and I am always bad at catching people's names. She looked cold and clever. She didn't look at all friendly, but she looked interesting, and I wondered who she was. I didn't ask because I was sure that someone would speak to her by, na speak to her by name during the meal. Unluckily, however, I was a long way from her table. I was sitting next to Mrs. Gor Gorman, and as usual, Mrs. Gorman was being very bright and amusing. Conversation is always worth listening to, and I completely forgot to ask the name of the dark, proud girl. There were twelve of us, including the Sangstons themselves. We were all young, or trying to be young. Jack and Violet Sangston were the oldest, and their 17-year-old son, Reggie, was the youngest. It was Reggie who suggested Smee when the talk turned to games. He told us the rules of the game, just as I've described them to you. Jack Sangston warned us all, if you're going to play games in the dark, he said, please be careful of the back stairs on the first floor. A door leads to them, and I've often thought about taking, off, taking the door off. In the dark, a stranger at the house could think they were walking into a room. A girl really did break her neck on those stairs. I asked how it happened. It was about ten years ago, before we came here. There was a party, and they were playing hide-and-seek. The girl was looking for somewhere to hide. She heard somebody coming and ran along the passage to get away. She opened the door thinking it led to a bedroom. She planned to hide there until the seeker had gone. Unfortunately, it was the door that led to the back stairs. She fell straight down to the bottom of the stairs. She was dead when they picked her up. We all promised to be careful. Mrs. Gorman even made a little joke about living to be 90. You see, none of us had known the poor girl and we did not want to feel sad on Christmas Eve. Well, we all started the game immediately after dinner. Young Reggie Sangston went around making sure that all the lights were off, except the ones in the servants' rooms and in the sitting rooms where we were. We then prepared 12 sheets of paper. Eleven of them were blank, and one of them had Smee written on it. Reggie mixed them all up, and then we each took one. The person who got the paper with Smee on it had to hide. I looked at mine and saw it was blank. A moment later, all the electric lights went out. In the darkness, I heard someone moving very quietly to the door. After a minute, somebody blew a whistle, and we were all rushed to the door. I had no idea who was Smee. For five or ten minutes, we were all rushing up and down passages and in and out of rooms and challenging each other, answering, Smee? Smee. After a while, the noise died down, and I guessed that somebody had found Smee. After a time, I found a group of people all sitting in some of the narrow stairs. I challenged them and received no answer. So Smee was there. I hurriedly joined the group. Presently, two more players arrived, each one hurrying to avoid being the last. 
Jack Sangston was the last and was given a forfeit. I think we're all here now, aren't we? He remarked. He lit a match, looked at the staircase, and began to count. Nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, he said, and then laughed. That's silly. There's one too many. The match went out. And he lit another one and began to count. He got as far as twelve, and then he looked puzzled. There are thirteen people here, he said. I haven't counted myself yet. Oh, nonsense, I laughed. You probably began with yourself, and now you want to count yourself twice. His son took out his electric torch. It gave a better light than the matches, and we, were all, and we all began to count. Of course, there were twelve of us, Jack laughed. Well, he said, I was sure I counted thirteen twice. From halfway up the stairs, Violet Sangston spoke nervously. I thought there was somebody sitting two steps above me. Have you moved, Captain Ransom? The captain said he hadn't. But I thought there was somebody sitting between Mrs. Sa Mrs. Sangston and me. Just for a moment, there was an uncomfortable something in the air. A cold finger seemed to touch us all. For that moment, we all felt that something odd and unpleasant had just happened and was likely to happen again. Then we laughed at ourselves and at each other, and we felt normal again. There were only 12 of us, and that was that. Still laughing, we marched back to the sitting room to begin again. This time, I was Smee. Violet Sangston found me while I was searching for a hiding place. That game didn't last long. Soon there were 12 people, and the game was over. Violet felt cold and wanted her jacket. Her husband went up to their bedroom to fetch it. As soon as he'd gone, Reggie touched me on the arm. He was looking pale and sick. Quick, he whispered. I've got to talk to you. Something horrible has happened. We went into the breakfast room. What's the matter? I asked. I don't know. You were Smee last time, weren't you? Well, of course, I didn't know who Smee was. While Mother and the others ran to the west side of the house and found you, I went east. There's a deep clothes cupboard in my bedroom. It looked like a good hiding place. I thought that perhaps Smee might be there. I opened the door in the dark and touched somebody's hand. Smee, I whispered. There was no answer. I thought I'd found Smee. Well, I don't understand it, but I suddenly had a strange, cold feeling. I can't describe it, but I felt something was wrong. So I turned on my electric torch, and there was nobody there. Now, I am sure I touched a hand, and nobody could get out of the cupboard because I was standing in the doorway. What do you think? You imagined that you touched a hand, I said. He gave a short laugh. I knew you would say that, he said. Of course I imagined it. That's the only explanation, isn't it? I agreed with him. I could see that he still felt shaken. Together we returned to the sitting room for another game of Smee. The others were all ready and waiting to start again. <clears throat> Perhaps it was my imagination, although I'm almost sure it was not. But I had a feeling that nobody was really enjoying the game anymore. But everyone was too polite to mention it. All the same, I had the feeling that something was wrong. All the fun had gone out of the game. Something deep inside me was trying to warn me. Take care, it whispered. Take care. 
There was some unnatural, unhealthy influence at work in the house. Why did I have this feeling? Because Jack Sangston had counted 13 people instead of 12? Because his son imagined he had touched someone's hand in an empty cupboard? I tried to laugh at myself, but I did not succeed. Well, we started again. While we were all chasing the unknown Smee, we were all as noisy as ever, but it seemed to me that mo that most of us were just acting. We were no longer enjoying the game. At first I stayed with all the others, but for several minutes no Smee was found. I left the main group and started searching on the first floor on the west side of the house. And there, while I was feeling my way along, I bumped into a pair of human knees. I put up my hand and touched a soft, heavy curtain, and I knew where I was. There were tall, deep windows with window seats at the end of the passage. The curtain reached to the ground. Somebody was sitting in a corner of one of the window seats behind the curtain. Aha! I thought, I've caught me. So I pulled the curtain to one side and touched a woman's arm. It was dark. It was a dark, moonless night. I couldn't see the woman sitting in the corner of the window seat. Smee, I whispered. There was no answer. When Smee is challenged, he or she does not answer. So I sat down beside her to wait for the others. Then I whispered, what's your name? And out of the darkness behind me, the whisper came, Brenda Ford. I did not know the name, but I guessed at once who she was. I knew every girl in the house by name except one. And that was the tall, pale, dark girl. So here she was, sitting beside me on the window seat, shut in between a heavy curtain and a window. I was beginning to enjoy the game. I wondered if she was enjoying it too. I whispered one or two rather ordinary questions to her and received no answer. Smee is a game of silence. It is a rule of the game that Smee and the person or persons who have found Smee have to keep quiet. This of course makes it harder for the others to find them, but there was nobody else about. I wondered therefore why she was insisting on silence. I spoke again and got no answer. I began to feel a little annoyed. Perhaps she is one of those cold, clever girls who have a poor opinion of all men, I thought. She doesn't like me, and she is using the rules of the game as an excuse for not speaking. Well, if she doesn't like sitting here with me, I certainly don't want to sit with her. I turned away from her. I hope someone finds us soon, I thought. As I sat there, I realized that I disliked sitting beside this girl very much indeed. That was strange. The girl I had seen at dinner had seemed likable in a cold kind of way. I noticed her and wanted to know more about her. But now I felt really uncomfortable beside her. The feeling of something wrong, something unnatural, was growing. I remembered touching her arm, and I trembled with horror. I wanted to jump up and run away. I prayed that someone else would come along soon. Just then, I heard light footsteps in the passage. Somebody on the other side of the curtain brushed against my knees. The curtain moved to one side, and a woman's hand touched my shoulder. Smee, whispered a voice that I recognized at once. It was Mrs. Gorman. Of course, she received no answer. She came and sat down beside me, and at once I felt very much better. It's Tony Jackson, isn't it? She whispered. Yes, I whispered back. You're not Smee, are you? <clears throat> no, she's on my other side. She reached out across me. I heard her fingernails scratch a woman's silk dress. 
Hello, Smee. How are you? Who are you? Oh, is it against the rules to talk? Never mind, Tony, we'll break the rules. Do you know, Tony, this game is beginning to annoy me a little. I hope they aren't going to play it all evening. I'd like to play a nice quiet game, all together beside a warm fire. Me too, I agreed. Can't you suggest something to them? There's something rather unhealthy about this particular game. I'm sure I'm being very silly, but I can't get rid of the idea that we've got an extra player. Somebody who ought not to be here at all. That was exactly how I felt, but I didn't say so. However, I felt very much better. Mrs. Gorman's arrival had chased away my fears. We sat talking. I wonder when the others will find us, said Mrs. Gorman. After a time, we heard the sound of feet and young Reggie's voice shouting, Hello? Hello? Is anybody there? Yes, I answered. Is Mrs. Gorman with you? Yes. What happened to you? You've both got forfeits. We've all been waiting for you for hours. But you haven't found Smee yet, I complained. You haven't... You mean Iris Smee this time? But Smee is here with us, I cried. Yes, agreed Mrs. Gorman. The curtain was pulled back, and we sat looking into the eye of Reggie's electric torch. I looked at Mrs. Gorman, and then on my other side. Between me and the wall was an empty place on the window seat. I stood up at once. Then I sat down again. I was feeling very sick, and the world seemed to be going round and round. There was somebody there, I insisted, because I touched her. So did I, said Mrs. Gorman in a trembling voice. And I don't think anyone could leave the window seat without us knowing. Reggie gave a shaky little laugh. I remembered his unpleasant experience earlier that evening. Someone's been playing jokes, he said. Are you coming down? We were not very popular when it came down to the, when we came down to the sitting room. I found the two of them sitting behind a curtain on a window seat, said Reggie. I went up to the tall, dark girl. So you pretended to be Smee and then went away, I accused her. She shook her head. After we all played cards in the sitting room and I was very glad. Afterwards, we all played cards in the sitting room and I was very glad. Sometime later, Jack Sangston wanted to talk to me. I could see that he was rather cross with me and soon he told me the reason. Tony, he said. I suppose you are in love with Mrs. Gorman. That's your business. But please don't, make, please don't make love to her in my house during a game. You kept everyone waiting. It was very rude of you, and I am ashamed of you. But we were not alone, I protested. There was somebody else there, somebody who was pretending to be Smee. I believe it was that tall, dark girl, Miss Ford. She whispered her name to me. Of course, she refused to admit it afterwards. Jack Sangston stared at me. Miss who? he breathed. Brendan Ford, she said. Jack put a hand on my shoulder. Look here, Tony, he said. I don't mind a joke, but enough is enough. We don't want to worry the ladies. Brenda Ford is the name of the girl who broke her neck on the stairs. She was playing hide-and-seek in here ten years ago. The end. <laughs> Rather abrupt ending. Yeah. Spooky! Yes. Not a, not a shocking story, but it has very good atmosphere. Yeah, good atmosphere. It's totally like 
that thing, right, that, like, in the 30s and in the Victorian era it was so common and now it's kind of a trope, like the, what? She's been dead for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, the nice, the fun little, uh... I mean, it's still fun. I mean, even though knowing the end, like, just to watch, you know, the runaround and all that stuff is... Yeah, it's a fun story. It's a, it's a fun story. It, 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 like, in the middle there, it gets, you know, like, it got me. Like, I was very engaged in the middle, just, like, when they're counting, and everyone's like, wait, there's one too many people here. And, like, just that's kind of a very creepy feeling to be, like, in a group in the dark, kind of flashing lights, a match, can't really see people, but... It made me, you know what it made me think of um, when you were reading that scene was in The Conjuring. Mm-hmm. Oh, when yeah. she has the match yeah. and it goes out. So she has to, you know, and she lights it again or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I was like, like in a staircase. That's what I was thinking of. Yes. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good, nice little tactic to write in there that the match went out once. Um, yeah. Because it just really- creates tension. Yeah. That's um, really creepy. And just the idea that like in a group you should be, you should feel safe. But mm-hmm. then like, they end up unsettled because, you know, Mr. Sankson is like, there's too many people here. Yeah. And it's like, what? What? <laughs> Excuse me? What? Um, but, yeah. And I think that so often, like, when we think of horror stories or ghost stories or spooky stories, we always imagine it setting in the fall, in mm-hmm. October, on Halloween night. So... When you've got, you know, like, it's Christmas Eve, you know, and you've got... Nowadays, we've got this very, um, you know, it's like cognitive dissonance because we think of it as a jolly time and we're all drinking and eating fruitcake and singing songs and, you know, elves on the TV or something. Like, it's all very safe and nice. And then, you know, to have it here, it's like, well, it was Christmas Eve and we were playing a game in this rather large house and... Mm-hmm. there was one too many people there and we couldn't quite figure it and I brushed somebody's hand in the dark and I don't know what it, you know like it's it's interesting looking at how they used to look at Christmas Eve versus how we look at sort of Christmas Eve and Christmas now yeah it is yeah and I think for spook people like us like mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like there is there is a part of me that's like, yeah, let's bring this back more. Yeah. Let's let's get in touch with like these very old roots for this side of Christmas, you know. Um there's a really good um horror anthology from the forties called Dead of Night. Um, with people sitting around telling ghost stories, um, one of which involves a Christmas party. Mm-hmm. Um, in a very similar situation to to the story we just read. Um, so if you guys liked that story, check out Dead of Night. Um, and if you're hankering for more uh, sort of Victorian era or like early 20th century ghost stories, we've got some links to a bunch of, bunch of those. As Miss Mel said earlier, they're generally really long. Yes. Um, so kind of read at your leisure, but we'll, we'll put those up. A nice linky link. Yeah, we'll put up some links, um, to the various things we've discussed this episode, including the video of that cute British boy. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, I'm not on the naughty list. No. 
How about that part, like, in the middle of the story, though, where he, like, totally becomes, like, a toxic bro. And he's like, she's not talking to me, so I fucking hate her. Yeah. <laughs> right. He was like, I've become very... Also, when he was, like... Um... She's one of those girls that hates all men. And I was like, oh, it's a lesbian. <laughs> he's talking right, about yeah. lesbians. Yeah, and it's like, well, you're supposed to be quiet, you fucking asshole. You're the one breaking the rules. Yeah. Uh, and then at the end, it's like, don't make love to her in my house. Yeah, he was like, I understand you're in love with Mrs. Goldman. <laughs> who like, I, we're made to believe is married. Right? Yeah, it's, I like, is Mr. Gorman also at the party? Like, Maybe she's a widow, I don't know. No. Um, but yeah, it's a goofy little story. And it got me. It was good. It was creepy. Yeah. It's creepy. Yeah. It had some creepy um, moments. But yeah, if you're looking for something to do on your Christmas Eve, sitting around telling spooky stories is always, could always be fun. Um, and you know, depending on the level of awareness at your party, they could think you invented a fun new tradition. Yeah. Yeah. Or when in doubt, just suggest that everybody plays me. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's interesting because it's such a weird game, but it's, like, the function of it is, like, very straightforward. Mm -hmm. Like, everyone's going around yelling at each other, and it gets slowly quieter and quieter. Yeah, even the game itself is creepy, right? Yeah. Like, that idea of, like, increasing silence, and then, like, if you're the last person left. Yeah. Just wandering around a completely silent house. That's creepy. that is creepy. But, yeah. So... If you'd like to share with us some of your ghost stories or just anything in general, uh, you can tweet us at SplatterChatter666 on Twitter, minus all the vowels. If that's too difficult, just search. We'll pop right up. You can email us at SplatterChatter669 at gmail.com. You can send us messages on Tumblr at SplatterChatter.tumblr.com. You can slide into our DMs at SplatterChatter666 on Instagram. <coughs> you can leave comments at splatterdoshchatter.com, our new blog, uh, where Mr. Craggers has been trucking away basically since October with uh, a plethora of posts. Um, and he will let you know how you can become more involved in the podcast if you would like to. If you're feeling generous at this holiday season and you want to support the show financially, you can head on over to patreon.com slash splatterchatter666 and find out how you can donate to the show in exchange for really cool rewards as our show of gratitude. You can also show your love and support for the show by giving us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, which is all of the wonderful places where our show can be found. Now, this is going to be the last episode of 2019. Um, When we next see you, it'll be an entirely new decade. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. Um, So, while um, there won't be another episode until 2020, um, do keep an eye on the website, on the blog, for um, top 10 lists for 2019 as well as for the 2010s as crazy as it is it's time to step back and look at the decade in horror and and see and see where we are um so what's going on kids see what's going on kids keep an eye out for that i think we would both like to take this time to wish everybody a happy holiday season 
Um, may it be festive and fun and safe. Um, a happy new year to all. Do remember to, um, in the spirit of the ghost stories, keep up the creep amidst uh, all of the tinsel and the hot chocolate and the candy canes. And until 2020, we're going to say au revoir. Adios. Adios.